what is this puberty thing? Like, and he had all this hair. It was like, oh my god! And he said, "Why did you say oh my god?" And I said, "Because oh my god, that wasn't there last week." And then at ten and a half, she got her first period, which was quite a surprise for me because I was a very late developer and I thought she would be too. Welcome to Planet Puberty, where we launch into the mood swing Milky Way, float by the B.O. black hole, and gaze with wonder at the menstruation constellation. Puberty can be a tough time for all young people, but for kids with intellectual disability and autism, it can be even harder for both them and their parents and carers. Each episode, we try to make puberty less of a bumpy ride by chatting to parents and carers about their experience of supporting a child with disability through puberty. We also talk with professionals about tips and tricks you can use to help you and your child navigate this new world. My name is Katie and I will be your guide as each episode we delve into a new and exciting puberty topic. This episode we're talking about erections and wet dreams. We chat with Carl about his experience of supporting his son to learn about erections and wet dreams. We will talk about some of the challenges they have faced and some of the things that Carl has found helpful in building his son's knowledge and confidence to manage his erections and wet dreams independently. We will also talk to Sarah and Lee from the Centre for Positive Behaviour Support. They will be answering questions sent in from parents and carers all over the country. But first, let's hear from Carl. Hi, Carl. Thank you for joining us today. No problems. Thank you for having me. Not at all. Would you mind getting us started by telling us a little bit about yourself and your family? Yep. So I'm a, a married with a wife and three kids, girl, boy, girl, 17, 14 and 11. And uh, my boy, who is 14, has got uh, a number of challenges in life, special needs, etc., and um, yeah, we live in the southwest of Sydney and we're fairly domestic and normal. And would you mind telling us a little bit about your son? Like, are there any things that he's particularly good at or is there anything that sort of stands out about his character? He is very good at technology and he's very good at problem solving when he wants to do anything to get his own way, which involves technology. <laughs> I'd say those are two very good skills to have together in today's current environment. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It, it is, um, and as he's, as he's, because even though he's 14, he's, with the, he's got a developmental delay and so he's kind of at about an age, we think roughly maybe 11 or 12, and so he's kind of doing He's kind of finding his voice in terms of being a little bit cheeky and pushing boundaries and really challenging uh, my wife and I um, a lot, particularly in the last probably three months. And so that's, um, while it's good, it's still frustrating. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that brings us around to our topic today that those sort of pushing boundaries tends to start as puberty starts. Um do you remember when you first noticed that your son had started puberty? Yeah, it was probably about a year ago and started with noticing underarm hair and um, a little bit of facial hair, like a little bit of a moustache kind of thing. And then that kind of went on to um, uh, pubic hair. 
pubic hair and was your son okay with those those physical changes that happened or was it a bit of a shock to him? No, it was a bit of a shock. And and I remember last year um, having that conversation with him about, and, he, and, and even him mentioning it more than once uh, to my wife and I about um, not wanting to grow up, you know, like what is this puberty thing? Like the, they'd done puberty at school and we spoke about what puberty was and changes and all those kinds of things. And I think it was a little bit scary. I think it was a little bit unknown. And he and he absolutely said that he didn't want to do it. I can definitely empathise with that. Uh, I think a lot of people feel like growing up is a very scary thing. But you're particularly here today to talk to us about erections and wet dreams, which is probably one of the more challenging things that boys go through yeah. when they hit puberty. Um, how how did your son cope when he first started to get uh, erections in public? I'd probably say not not only did he, but we as a as a couple and a family probably didn't cope very well, to be honest. He, we probably don't go out in public a heck of a lot. He obviously goes to school and whatnot. But where we probably saw it more prevalent was sitting in the lounge room watching TV and in the morning getting out of bed. Those kinds of things were probably the most frequent. That that, that was when we came across it the most free, at, the, at the start of at the start of it. Actually, probably to answer your question honestly, I think he got with it fine. I don't think it bothered him. It, wasn't a care in the world you know he's kind of walking around there and it's out there and doesn't care and it was probably more us that kind of freaked out a bit having you know a 16 and a 10 year old at the time girls in the house and you know his mother and and you know it was we didn't really know how to handle it to be fair and we probably didn't deal with it very well and did he know what was going on uh no I don't think he did I I you know, like he knew it was there and but didn't really um, – it wasn't like it was a conscious or deliberate thing, but it wasn't like that there was any embarrassment or shame about it. It was just – it was just there. Yeah, I mean, I think that embarrassment and shame is often a learned thing um, that people get when they, you know, they talk to their peers or they see it in movies or – um, reactions from other people, uh, which is obviously something you were very conscious of. Yeah, um, like you'd jump off off the lounge and walk across all of us watching telly, and you'd be like, "Oh my god, what are you doing?" <laughs> and like he, he, and you know, he was like, "Well, I'm not really doing anything." So, <laughs> so he didn't really feel any of that, uh, but you definitely did. Yes, absolutely, and that's kind of, um, and the timing for that was. Uh, as that as that evolved was what led me to my to my um, my googling and searching uh, and and eventually to to family planning New South Wales to try to answer some of those questions and try to help with um, get some advice on that kind of stuff. And did you find anything that was helpful that's um, you've been able to pass on to your son to help him manage his erections? Yeah, so I went I, I attended a workshop. I think it was about June last year, actually, at Haberfield and got heaps of really useful information. Probably the most useful thing was the wiggle your toes technique, just as a as a distraction and as a and as a uh, a really 
a sensible, safe and calm way for me to be able to say, you know, if he gets up in the morning um, to be able to, to say, or if he's about to get off the lounge, it's kind of embedded enough now that he might, he sometimes even says to me like, you know, I'm like, I'm at him like, come on, out of bed, got to go to school and whatnot. And, and he'll say to me, I'm just, I'll be up in a minute. I'm just wiggling my toes, daddy. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, and so it's it's a thing now, which is rather than a kind of a, an us being embarrassed. Oh my god, he he knows that that's not what we want to have walking around in the house. Yeah, and would you mind just um, explaining the wiggling your toes technique? Yeah, so so if he, uh, as an example, if you know, go into his room and in the morning and whatnot, and say good morning and open up all the windows and stuff. And if he has an erection, then it's just, come on, mate, time to get out of bed. And he'll sit on the side of the bed and I'll just get him to wiggle his toes and focus on wiggling his toes for about 30 seconds. And normally kind of the distraction just helps him not to think about whatever he might or might not be thinking about and just helps his erection to go down. Great. So it's really it's working for both, for, for the family and for him, which is fantastic. And a big thing for boys to learn when they start having more frequent erections during puberty is that learning that erections are private so that they should really only be touched when they're in a private place. Uh, is this something that you have been teaching your son or is it something that he picked up quite quickly or did you need to revisit it a few times? No, it was definitely part of the concern um, that my wife and I had last year again around that puberty time that's what that was forefront of my mind when we came when I came to that seminar there last year and I came away from there with the book called about masturbation and for people with an intellectual disability and I took him through it I brought him home and and I read him through it and and um, we set him up um, you know we spoke about public and private and the really important need to have that defined now for for us, uh, there's a shared bathroom, so the bathroom is not uh, private. You know, it is if you're showering or going to the toilet, but it's not a it's not a place for him to be uh, masturbating. So, if he wants to be doing that in his room, then we've I've taken him through the information. We've got a towel set up there for him. Now, after taking him through that, I think that he was a little bit freaked out that we had the conversation, and he felt a little bit um, awkward. It's still it's still kind of that oh or dad, you know, kind of conversation. But I think that it was, I think that it was good. It was better to have at least had the conversation so that he knows that if things are to happen, that it's, that it is natural and that those things aren't, you know, uh, horrible or weird. And then the worst thing for me would be if he was to say, go to school and talk to the other 14 odd year olds and you know, like some kids can just be really mean and they can, well, they can just give the wrong information. So forewarned is forearmed, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So if he's got that, the correct information from you and he know he might be a bit embarrassed about having those conversations with you, but he does know that he can come to you if he does have questions about um, masturbation or about erections and things like that. Um and that that's where he's going to get the bulk of his information from. Yeah, I, I, I genuinely hope so. And and that open kind of dialogue has always been, 
is there. So, and and in, in sharing that book with him and talking to him about that and kind of creating that safe space, hopefully we can maintain that. And how was the conversation for you? Because masturbation can be you know, a pretty tricky topic to talk about. Was that tricky for you to discuss or what did you need to do to prepare yourself for that? Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, like I'm, I'm not a, I'm a, I'm a retailer, so I, I, I'm not, this is not my space. This is not a, something I talk about all the time and you're absolutely right. It's not something that in general we talk about, geez, daily. You know, the, the closest that you get is probably boys, teenage boys throwing insults about, you know, masturbation. But um, ultimately, I had to have the conversation because he needed me to have it with him, and I needed to be his dad and step up and and give him the information. Because if I didn't, then no one else was. And I was going to leave the book on the side table and kind of think, you know, maybe hope that he'd read it. <laughs> um, but you know, like, you know, we've been through. He's fourteen now. We've been through years and years of different doctors and therapies and all, all the stuff. And, you know, this is a, a, a natural part of life and him being a boy. So, yeah, if he, if he, if he can't uh, look to me for that support and that love, then, you know, then what are we doing, really? That's wonderful. May I say a very healthy approach to talking about masturbation. <laughs> now... More frequent erections is one of the big things that boys go through when they hit puberty. But the other big thing is wet dreams. So have you had any experiences yet of supporting your son to learn about wet dreams? Yeah, there's been um, there was there's been a couple of times, but the one the one more recently was he got up for school and we make him make his bed uh, pre before going to school. And the bed was wet, like saturated wet, like there was this massive, unnaturally large wet spot. And we haven't had problems with, um, you know, incontinence or going, wetting the bed for years. So it was incredibly unusual. And we didn't have time to really reflect on it in the morning, go to school, get blah, 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 all the stuff. But thinking about it throughout the day, he had had a previous wet dream which had left a little stain and I have a strong suspicion that what he'd actually done was that he'd gotten up and gotten a cup of water to kind of hide the fact that he might have had a wet dream and so he's tipped like an entire cup 250 mils onto the bed just to try to kind of hide it and that's when I so I came home from work um, that day obviously we washed the sheets and stuff but then spoke about wet dreams spoke about you know, how they they're kind of impromptu, infrequent or, you know, but how they're completely natural. And um, and then that if that kind of thing happened to him, just to let us know, or if he wanted to, he could take the sheets off his bed, although that's physically hard to do with those fitted sheets and his dexterity and stuff. But if he wanted to, he could just talk to us about it and we'd just, you know, change the bed, wash the sheets, and that it was kind of all good. We haven't had any instances since then so um, I guess the jury's out on how successful that conversation was but um, yeah at least we, we we discussed it and had you spoken to him about it before he'd had the wet dreams or that was kind of the first conversation you'd had 
no, that was the first conversation <laughs> that we had. <laughs> um, yeah, it, 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 it's a ongoing challenge, I guess, for my wife and I, just in terms of he's physically 14 and a half. Um, you know, he's an October baby, so he's physically 14 and a half, but mentally, like, and with the, with the delay, it's hard to know where to pitch, like where to pitch him at. And I think that we're, and I think that we're guilty of sometimes missing the fact that on some things and at some times he can be really switched on and really on point and, and he can definitely be, you know, that 14 and a half year old boy, but then some, sometimes he's, you know, 11 or 12. And so that, that's, that's on us, but it's, yeah, it's, it's it's a difficult one to kind of. There's no there's no there's nothing there's no firm guideline. There's no rule book. You know what I mean? Like it's hard to judge. So um, no, I hadn't previously had that conversation. That's now. all right. You've done it now. Yeah. So is there before I wrap up our conversation? Is there anything that you are looking forward to um, for your son as he grows up? All the you know really because we're not really sure exactly like one of the things that we've recently found out about is a fairly rare genetic disorder or condition and so we don't really know there's not a lot of people in the world with it there's no one that we can point to and go hey look at that you know 70 80 year old person with that genetic deletion who's also got his you know cerebral palsy and adhd and developmental delay and all that stuff there's no one that we can really point at. And that's probably been the biggest thing my whole life for him is we don't know where we're going. Like we don't know where the journey is, you know. So everything that we look forward to is just every marker really, you know, like the fact that he's even being moody and surly as a teenager while while we have some ding-dong battles, the fact that he's gotten to that developmental stage is still something that we celebrate. I guess kind of that taking each day as it comes approach is quite nice because it helps you to appreciate the little changes that are happening as he grows up uh, and also helps to sort of battle some of that anxiety that looking too far into the future can bring. Yeah, yeah, that's that. some of that stuff just gets a little bit daunting, but we just, we just don't know. But um Day by day, step by step, you know, challenge by challenge, and um, and and somebody, a medical professional that we have helping us, who's very very good. One of the things that he says always kind of sticks with me, and he said, and he said, no matter how hard it gets, always remember where you started, and look how high you are up on the steps from where you started back there, you know, and recognize that you've come up all these steps. You're not back there where you started, and. Yeah, that's always quite helpful to reflect on. Absolutely. That is such a wonderful piece of advice. Um, And I'll just ask you, are there any other last pieces of advice that you'd like to offer other parents and carers supporting their children to learn about wet dreams and erections? Absolutely reach out. You know, like your very small but super, super enthusiastic team at Family Planning have have been really a godsend and and the reason that my wife and I were comfortable doing this in this forum is that 
it seems to be like one of those secret things that people don't talk about, you know. Um, but unfortunately, you have to talk about it because there's so many people out there with different challenges. And this is part of this is not just, you know, this is not just some weird interest like or hobby. This is this is DNA. This is life. This is day in, day out. And so if people aren't talking about it, then what the heck is happening with these poor people? You know, if, if puberty was hard enough for us and we don't have any of those special needs, then imagine what it's like for these other, for, for people going through it. It's just, it, it scares me. So, you know, don't be afraid to reach out uh, to, to, to the medical professionals, to the health professionals, you know, and, and I know that there's support networks around there as well. Well, thank you, Carl. It's been wonderful and very enlightening talking to you today. Oh, thank you. If you're someone with a penis, wet dreams and erections are a normal part of growing up. However, for many people, talking about erections and wet dreams can be difficult and sometimes even a little embarrassing. It's not usually something that people speak about on a daily basis, and you might be worried about finding the right way to explain this to your child. While erections and wet dreams are normal, there are some things that your child should learn to ensure that privacy is respected, good hygiene is practiced, and that they feel prepared for these changes. We received a number of questions from parents and carers across the country about how to prepare their child and how to teach them about wet dreams and erections. We asked Sarah and Lee from the Centre for Positive Behaviour Support to answer some of these questions. Joining us on the podcast today are Sarah and Lee. Lee is the Assistant Clinical Director for the Centre for Positive Behaviour Support and has a Masters of Education and Applied Behaviour Analysis. Sarah is a psychologist, devoted board certified behaviour analyst and a panel chair for the ACT's Senior Practitioners Working to Eliminate Restrictive Practice Use. Welcome, Sarah and Lee. Thanks for having us. Hi. Can you guys start us off by telling us a little bit about the Centre for Positive Behaviour Support and the work that goes on there? Sure. So the Centre for Positive Behaviour Support is a behaviour support company that works with children as young as around two, and we work all the way up to the elderly population. We work and specialise in challenging behaviours, so uh, whether that be aggression or sexualised behaviours or even language development and skill development as well. So that's a, a very brief summary of what we do, but we absolutely love it and enjoy every day working with our clients. Fantastic. And is puberty a time that can be quite challenging for a lot of your clients? Very much so. It's something that we come up with with nearly every teen at some point and even quite often quite early in their de- in their development as well. So we do have people as young as five or six that we are working on sexual related um, behaviours or, you know, preparing them for puberty when it is coming around. Well, we're very excited to pick both your brains today. Um, so I might jump straight into our first question, uh, which is from Don in Tasmania. So Don has said, my son is 10 years old and has a mild intellectual disability. The other day when I picked him up from school, his teacher told me that the children were teasing him because he had an erection in the playground. Is it too early for him to be having erections? It seems quite young. How do I help him to know what to do if this happens again? 
Yeah, so to begin with, there's a couple of parts to that question. So the first one is around, is his son at 10 years too young to have an erection? No, so toddlers, babies, male babies can all have erections from time to time. It's possible. So it's not out of the ordinary for a 10-year-old to, to experience that. What the issue here is that he's experiencing an erection on the playground with his peers who are then seeing it and making fun of it. So the way to manage that would be to make sure that his son has an understanding of what's going on. That can be done via a social story that discusses um, why it's happening, what it's about, so some general education. The social story can then also look at different strategies for how to deal with it. So let a teacher know, maybe they could organise for a special place for him to go in the school if something like that was to happen again, and, and some different phrases in which he could let up, like let his peers know what's going on. From there, I also think it would be important for the parents to speak to the school and ha- let, make sure that they have strategies to support the young boy as well because it's likely it's going to happen again and that sort of support they can do is have that place for him to go, um, have some language to help support him, maybe some code words to let him know that maybe you need to head off to a special space. And then I would also suggest that the school or that class in particular or that group of boys that were teasing them needs to have some education around what's going on so that they can better understand. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, age 10, um, most boys are going to laugh at erections. Like it's going to be a pretty funny thing. It's a pretty normal thing um, as part of development. (laughs) And they are going to have fun with it. I mean, adult men still have fun around those sorts of jokes. So 10-year-old boys are going to do it as well. Absolutely. It's just, um, I guess, not particularly nice when you're the one that's being teased. So if he does go to like a place that you've suggested, what can he do when he's there to sort of help the erection go down? Well, that's different for everyone. Um, I mean, spending some time distracting himself, redirection strategies to a more preferred or a preferred activity, um, whether it be a screen time or something that could be set up by the school so he could spend time watching YouTube video or something once his mind's off uh, whatever it was that was sexually arousing him, his erection will likely go away. Um, I I would say distraction is the best option in his case for his age and considering the location. And you probably also want to look at trying to, in regards to that distraction or the distress tolerance there, you want to look at boring activities for him. So things that um, are not going to be stimulating in any way. So reading a book or you know, doing some activity with your hands that keeps you busy and occupied so that then he's not able to focus on what's going on and the embarrassment of that. And that in itself should be able to help with alleviating the erection if possible. Absolutely. And that's that they would be the strategies for the boy. And then the other recommendations would be education for those peers, whether it's his classmates or a group of boys that he plays with on the playground, just so there's some better understanding of what's going on. Yeah, no, that I, is unlikely all the teasing on the playground because the 10-year-old boys are still going to find it fun. But also probably good for them to know as well because I don't think it would be um, long before some of them start going through a very similar thing. That's right. Very much so. Yeah. It's likely that they probably are as well, although it's just not happening on the playground. Uh, all right. So we might move on to our next question from Simon in Victoria. Uh, Simon has said, my son started puberty a few years ago and has been getting erections more regularly in the last 12 months. 
I've tried to talk to him about not touching his erection in public, but he seems to find this very difficult. I'm worried that now he is older, this could get him into trouble. How can I teach him to stop this behaviour? Yeah, so this is an interesting one. So we have to look at this in a couple of areas. First of all, we need to understand if the behaviour of touching himself in public is being reinforced by the attention he's receiving from doing the behaviour in public. So the reactions from mum and dad, brothers, sisters, the public, actually reinforcing that behaviour and making it more likely he's going to do that in the future. If it is, then the best strategy is there is to actually ignore it and hope that the behaviour in public goes away. So what we want to do then is we we want to stop reinforcing the behaviour in public and then reinforcing the behaviour of touching himself, masturbation in the appropriate location. So home, in the bedroom, in the bathroom. Um, When that happens or when we know that he's, he's doing that in those appropriate locations, that's when we want to reinforce. We want to reinforce it when he's at home and then eventually when he's only in those specific locations. Um, that should reduce the behaviour happening in public over time. Other strategies that would be useful is to teach him about the uh, public-private settings, using visuals from a uh, different program such as SoSafe. So the SoSafe material is really useful to discuss the um, public-private location so that he could get a better understanding of that. And then you also do have Planet Puberty as well. Mm, of course. Yeah, so we will put some uh, links in the show notes to our erections and wet dreams uh, and masturbation resources um, in Planet Puberty um, so you can access that a little bit later after the show. All right, fantastic, guys. Um, Our next question is from Lena in New South Wales. Um, Lena's question is, our son is 12 years old and has autism. He needs a lot of support and time to learn new things. So we've been trying to teach him about puberty and the changes that will happen to his body. Some things have stuck really well, others haven't. One of the things we're struggling to teach him about is wet dreams. We have been using picture books, but I'm at a loose end for what to try next. Do you have any suggestions? Yeah, so there's a lot of autism-friendly resources out there that deal with topics such as wet dreams and masturbation. And they should be used to teach the mechanics of what's happening and explain the whys and hows of of wet dreams. Creating social stories can help explain other bits of information such uh, that that the text or picture books don't quite answer, such as, you know, what exactly should I do? How do I clean up afterwards? Who Who do I speak to about? So those sorts of steps. And having a social story created by the family can be very specific in how they want it dealt with in terms of privacy, in terms of the steps their son takes, whether they want him to clean it up or they want to let him know so they can deal with it. Um, So that social story can be very specific for the individual family's needs. I think something to keep in mind, though, is that all younger boys are very unsure around wet dreams, what's going on, particularly for those first few. Um, So it's not out of the ordinary for their 12-year-old son to not know everything. And that's okay. There can be still some mystery around it. That's quite normal. But I think the, the main focus should be on letting him know that it is that it is normal, so try and normalise it as soon as possible, let him know that it's okay for it to happen and then teaching him the steps of how to clean up afterwards or what steps the family want him to take. So those most important bits are around, you know, 
normalizing it and preparing him so that he knows what's happening to his body, um, which I think is a really important part for a lot of uh, young boys. Um, oftentimes when they have their first wet dream, they might think that they've wet the bed um, if they haven't been prepared ahead of time. So just making sure that they know that this is a very normal part of growing up uh, and it's nothing to be worried or scared about. And as you said, then working with your family to figure out what you're comfortable with and, and what the action should be um, once your son has had a wet dream. Yeah, and you want to make sure that they upskill um, their son in how to manage wet dreams, whether that be teaching them how to clean up or giving him the tools, you know, that go in a box under his bed that he can just, you know, bring out and clean up and tidy up everything and so that it's, you know, quite independent in the way that he manages it rather than always having to go to his family and have that conversation with him as well that, you know, I've had a wet dream, what do I do? We can give him all the tools and the skills to be able to do that himself and then, you know, he's able to manage that independently. Yeah, which I think leads us on to our next question, Sarah, which is from uh, Yaz in Queensland. Um Yaz says that her 14-year-old has a moderate intellectual disability and some mobility issues with his hands. Um, he started having wet dreams about a year ago uh, and he's really good at letting Yaz know when he's had one so that she can clean up, um, which makes sure that he's not sleeping in dirty pyjamas or sheets. Um, but the other day her older son made a comment about that being really embarrassing that um, her younger son has to talk to his mum about having wet dreams uh, and she says, it made me think that maybe I shouldn't be doing this for my younger son. Should I be teaching him to clean up after he has a wet dream? How can I do this? Yeah, this is a difficult situation in that you've got more one person involved with, with dealing with it, which is the older brother. Um, look, whilst it's good to teach the younger boy to clean up after himself, to teach him the skills necessary, potentially have social stories around it. But I think um, one point is that he already has the skills and is, is already letting mum know that he's having wet dreams and asking for help, so that's great. It's obviously quite normalised for him. He understands what's going on. Teaching him those skills to be a part of cleaning up would be useful. Um, so that could be having him in the room first observing the steps to clean up and then slowly getting him more and more involved in a step-by-step -step phase till he can do everything on his own. Um, I know mum mentions that he does have some mobility issues in his hands, so that might be a bit more difficult for him to do some of the tasks. So just making sure they can get him to a point where he can uh, clean up as much as possible for himself and then still asking for mum. Now, the other issue is that the older brother has said, you know, it's quite embarrassing to have to ask his mum. Now, I guess I can understand where the older brother is coming from. However, if the younger boy is comfortable doing that, the mother's comfortable helping to clean up, I don't see an issue with that. That's more an issue with the older brother and his opinion on the matter. And so I don't think it's necessarily an issue if everyone's comfortable with it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's good for the, for the family to maybe speak to the older brother and say, look, it's fine. If you don't like it, you don't need to know about it. However, you know, the younger boy needs some support because of his intellectual disability. We're going to continue to provide that. Yeah, I think it can be a difficult line to tread, um, wanting to uh, give your child as much privacy as possible um, mm. while still supporting them with these personal care needs. It can be difficult sometimes for a lot of parents to figure out where the line is. Um, but as you said, 
if both the young boy and um, his mum seem okay with the situation. Um, it's not necessarily causing either of them any embarrassment at the moment, but definitely if they can continue to employ um, some of the strategies that you mentioned so that he can build his um, skills to be as independent as possible, um, that's I guess that's what you're trying to aim for, to, to reach and build that person's capacity to be able to be as independent as they possibly can be. The other thing to keep in mind, though, as well in this situation is around the dignity long term of this person. We don't want him to, you know, be coming out at inappropriate times, for example, and, you know, stating that he's had a wet dream and he needs help while mum's having a dinner party. And so you do want to make sure that he is able to address as much of it as he can by himself. And that would be done through teaching him you know, whether it be through a social story or visuals or having a box with all of the things in it where he can deal with most of it and clean up himself and then, you know, being able to teach him even with his mobility, can he pull the sheets off and put them in, you know, the wash basket and then come out and ask mum, can you help me make my bed? You know, that's much more discreet in the way of addressing it but it also then isn't embarrassing for the old brother if he's just asking mum to help make the bed. I think um, that point around, was it long-term dignity that you said, Sarah, was super yeah. interesting, um, particularly when you're thinking about that um, potentially when this uh, young boy grows up that he might move out and live with flatmates or he might live in supported accommodation, um, thinking about how um, you can support him to deal with wet dreams in, in those particular situations as well as he becomes an adult. Yeah, exactly. And it's really important to make sure that we are preserving their dignity, you know, everyone's dignity as best we can. And that's where, you know, both Lee and I are very passionate about upskilling and making the person as independent as possible um, so that they can maintain their dignity while addressing situations that, you know, may be, you know, not typically something that is comfortable for other people to talk about or, you know, I've had clients who have come out with their pants around their ankles with an erection before and, you know, we want to teach them how to manage that in a private, appropriate setting rather than coming out while mum's having that dinner party with their, you know, with their erection and their pants down their ankles, which has happened. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we want to make sure that their dignity is really respected and we are working towards increasing that at all times. Fabulous. All right. Well, I might move on to our final question, uh, which is from Rob in the ACT. Um, Rob says, my son loves to talk about embarrassing things in public. We have recently been teaching him about wet dreams and erections to help him prepare for puberty, but now that is all he can talk about. He even asked the dentist the other day if she had an erection. Is it possible to teach him to stop talking about these things in public? Yeah, so this is another interesting one. Um, this is much like the young gentleman that we spoke about before who was touching himself in public. So for, one of the first things we need to know is, is the reaction he gets from people from asking these questions, from having these conversations loudly in public, reinforcing the behaviour? So is that reaction he gets making it fun, therefore increasing the likelihood he's going to continue? If you find that it is, then once again, the best way is to not react to that, to those behaviours and then really reinforce him having those conversations at home in a more appropriate setting. So it could just be that he wants to have those conversations 
for, you know, for curiosity, he wants to understand the human body or things about himself that are changing, which is perfectly fine, but it's just that location. So teaching him once again about that public-private education so he knows where it's best to have those more sensitive conversations and then to try and avoid that reinforcement of the negative behaviour in public. Something that's interesting as well, it states in the question that he asked the dentist if she had an erection. So there is potentially a real uh, deficit in his understanding around these types of functions of of body if he's unsure that women can't get erections um, and those sorts of things. So looking at where those gaps are and trying to upskill him in that information as well may help reduce those embarrassing conversations because he would understand it better. And there are a couple of assessments that can be done even just with the family as well. There's one called the assessment of sexual knowledge and that's a really good one to understand where their child is in their, in this point in time in regards to their knowledge around um, sexualised behaviours or sexual activities. And that can then lead us to um, individualising our education or our approach to upskilling the person. You know, for example, I've done that assessment with someone before and we taught him about menopause and then two weeks later he's come out and said that he had menopause and all the world was hard because he had menopause. And so, you know, we had to remind him that menopause was something that happens to females and not males, um, not an excuse for his behaviour. But, you know, that was quite an interesting time. And I think this is similar to this, uh, to Rob's son, is that, you know, he's got some understanding but maybe not the full full understanding or concepts around these issues such as, you know, wet dreams or erections. Um, and that's probably something that we need to find out where that those knowledge gaps are so that then we can teach and address them. Mm. And if uh, a parent did want to, say, access the ASK um, tool, do you know where they could get a hold of that or are there, would it be better done by professional or...? We do, I believe we do have free access to it through a journal article. I'll need to find the article for you and we can link that in the show notes. Otherwise, they can also request that the counsellor at the school or the psychologist at school runs the assessment for them. Either option is appropriate. It's not a restricted assessment. And is that something that they would have to like specifically include in, say, their NDIS package? Not necessarily. It could be done through allied health, such as improved daily living or improved relationships. But then you could also do it just through mainstream support of having the school counsellor or school psychologist do it as well. Well, that's wonderful, guys. Um, Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's been a real pleasure talking to both of you. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining us on Planet Puberty as we talked about erections and wet dreams with Carl, Lee and Sarah. We hope that the stories, information and advice that they shared help you to navigate puberty with your child. All resources and services mentioned in this episode are included in the show notes. You can find them at planetpuberty.org.au forward slash podcasts. Our music is Levels by Ketzer. For further information on erections and wet dreams, you can go to the Planet Puberty website or you can email disability at fpnsw.org.au. Thank you for joining us on Planet Puberty. Planet Puberty.